As a preacher, we are trained to try to always preach the gospel with the assumption that the words and message of the four gospels provide the sustenance we all as listeners require. And this Sunday's gospel is powerful with John's telling of one of Jesus' most direct conflicts with the Jewish authority and his heretical claim to their ears, at least, that not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. And he's referring to himself, of course. And later in that exchange, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. There's a lot to preach in that gospel. That said, we're in the middle of a month-long bread of life sequence in the lectionary, and Peggy and I find ourselves searching for new ways to talk about bread and life that speak to us a little bit differently today. So this week, less bread. I promise more bread in in future weeks, though. And in fact, this week I found myself drawn to the more challenging reading from Ephesians. Challenging because it addresses how we are to live our lives after receiving the call of baptism when the messy stuff of living steps in. And this particular reading is near to our heart here at St. Peter's as we use the offertory sentence derived from it before each Eucharist. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself an offering and sacrifice to God. And a version of this is permanently inscribed in our new Petroselli walkway at the heart of the campus. Ephesians is a guidebook for what it means to be living after we are baptized. We've been called to pull off or strip away the old self so that God can give us into the new creation, the new self, which we do in the sacrament of baptism. We die to the old, are resurrected in Christ, and called to live a life in him. The summer after I turned 10 years old, I attended church summer camp in the nearby Indiana woods. I went there resolved to make the most of it, especially since during my previous visit a year earlier, I'd become so homesick that the preacher offered to send me home by Wednesday. I refused but still felt a little shameful that my nine-year-old self had been so weak. And I launched into all the activities actively memorized Bible verses and books of the Bible. I slept on top of the bunk bed's covers, careful not to mess them up, so I could get the clean bed award at the end of camp. And I beamed with pride as I was named Boy Camper of the Week at the closing ceremonies. I felt vindicated for my previous year's humiliation. And I also decided sometime during that week to be baptized. I've told some of this story from this pulpit before, and it still holds a deep, sense-filled memory with me to this day. The strangeness of getting into the pool water fully clothed, the way my pastor closed my my nose with his thumb and forefinger as he dunked me backwards three times, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The sunlight diffracting through the water, again refracted on the pool floor as I went under each time with my eyes open the angelic singing of my fellow campers, Jesus loves me, accompanying the ritual. And I also remember this remarkable feeling of being cleansed after the service, as if my life had somehow restarted with this event. And on the ride home, listening to the radio, 
I was surprised that a familiar song was still being played after my time away. You see, my life had been cut in half before baptism and after baptism. And it surprised me that some of the old bits still hung around me. Never mind that I'd been away less than a week. The break felt much deeper to me. And this feeling of being cleansed clung to me for a few weeks after. But I'll never forget the moment I felt a piece of it slip away. I was sitting on a neighbor's front porch surrounded by my classmates. We were no doubt talking smack about someone, as tweens do. And instead of just listening, I said something gossipy about that person. Something that, to use the language of Ephesians, tore down rather than built up. My forehead pulsed as the words left my mouth. My eyes were hooded in guilt. My eagerness to fit in had overcome the cleansed feeling I'd had and cherished so much. And I'd fallen off, come crashing down to earth. I remember immediately wanting that cleansed feeling back, but feeling like it was irretrievably lost. It had drifted away. Ephesians speaks to such a clean, cleansed people, later dirtied by the challenges of the world. It recognizes just how hard it is to climb back up, to be cleansed again after we fall. It's not easy, but it's what is required. It recognizes the way we'll be angry with others. To, not, to deny this would lead us down an even more dangerous path of either internalizing that anger or let it slip out in moments of passive aggressiveness. And that never happens in our lives or in church, does it? Never. We're told to never let the sun set on our anger. Ephesians doesn't let you deny you'll feel angry, just how to deal with it. And this sundown rule of anger is a key part of our marriage counseling process here at St. Peter's. It's a common and effective guideline. And I think most couples would agree. It also says that thieves should stop thieving. And this seems interesting regulation to insert here because the Ten Commandments addresses stealing directly. You know, thou shalt not steal. So it's curious that the writer of Ephesians felt the need to reprise it here. But it made me think, are there ways in which we steal attention or time or energy from those around us? Ways in which we interrupt others' good service? How might those be directed toward the needy instead and stop thieving? But the central admonition in today's reading of Ephesians comes right in the middle. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. It calls back to the opening line of speaking only truth to our neighbors. Now, truth has become something of an endangered species these past years. As a society, we've been able to retreat into our self-contained bubbles of truth that don't interact with each other or don't do it well or nicely, let's say. Truth about the coronavirus, truth about the vaccine, truth about the election results, truth about masks. The list goes on and seems to multiply day by day. I spent the greater part of the past week driving the back roads of Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Logged over 2,000 miles in just a few days. And along with Arkansas, these states are part of the heartland of vaccine denial and of wild conspiracies. The beauty of the back roads is you're able to see how people really live. You see their homes, their cars, their farms. You see the little stores and the Piggly Wiggly that 
makes up the largely run-down town centers. I saw lots and lots of American flags. I saw a few crosses painted with the stars and stripes, which is one of my heretical pet peeves, but that's for another day. I also saw a lot of yard signs of graduating seniors. I saw proud banners for the coming football season. I saw kids gathered outside the tiny schools I passed, seemingly excited to start the year again. In essence, I saw a people a whole lot like us. And I wondered why so many felt the need to live a different truth than I lived, one that didn't have the all-important science label attached to it. But reading Ephesians made some connections for me. I think we're asking the wrong questions. And because the question we're asking comes from our smugly superior version of truth, backed by science, again, we're speaking in a way that doesn't build up, but tears down from the outset. Why don't you get vaccinated? It's like the old joke, when did you stop wetting the bed? It starts from a flawed proposition and leaves no response that isn't couched in anger or denial. To many of these people, this question or challenge denies them their individuality, their humanity, their sense of agency. It's a question or two or three too far down the chain, and as such, it doesn't build up, but can tear down. How might an exchange that builds up sound like, if it's at all possible in today's polarized climate? Questions like, what do you fear? What have you lost? Where do you find hope? Where do you find love? Who loves you? What do you plan? Everybody needs to be listened to and appreciated and understood for their worldview. That's the start of how we change the dialogue. It wouldn't be a short conversation, and maybe it shouldn't be. A nasty part of our national discourse has replaced these longer conversations, call them front porch swing conversations or church coffee hour conversations, and it's replaced them with slanted news and Facebook gotcha moments. Conversation has become loaded with instruments of war. Ephesians deals with this too, so maybe the 24-7 news cycle is not so new. It tells us, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now I know this is one of, another one of my more of my seemingly more naive sermons. Not many of us are going to go out and even be able to engage with folks from other truths in such a way. But I think we can start by doing it from within. See, when you read the social media post or the newspaper column or cable news report that seems to demonize one side or the other. Let it sink into your heart in a way that builds up the other side. Go deeper than they're just stupid or they're sheeple or whatever. Neither of those build up by any stretch of the imagination. Build them up. Humanize them. See them as the children of God that they are in your own mind, even if they don't or won't do the same for you. Because we've got to start somewhere. Ephesians calls us to do no less than not grieve God. God grieves. Holy Spirit grieves, hurts, when we fall short of this universal call to kindness 
and to forgiveness. And as Peggy will say in a few moments, as we assemble for the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, an expanded version of our usual offertory sentence, she'll say, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us seek to be imitators of God and to seek to live in love as Christ loved us. Amen.